believe it or not. Strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Unbelievable? Believe it. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibilities. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brent. So, Ryan, some of the thoughts that um, sort of occupy and soothe my mind during these unsettling times involve apocalyptic global war. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, and before you, before anyone stops, uh, uh, like stops this podcast um it's the kind imagined in not only classic 80s films like war games but specifically the kind of global war outlined in the book one second after by william forstgen so this book was released in 2009 right in the heart of the great recession and in it forstgen basically imagines that on the second tuesday in the month of may at exactly 4:50 p.m the united states is plunged into darkness after an attack. So the entire country experiences a blackout. All phones and mobile devices and network systems are rendered useless. In fact, anything that relies on a computer of any kind, including cars and TVs, is fried. That's right. And in the small town of Black Mountain, North Carolina, our hero, that's John Matherson, a single father of two, a retired army colonel, and a professor at the small college in the town. Uh, Matherson thinks he knows what's happened. He theorizes that America has been attacked by a new kind of weapon, an electromagnetic pulse bomb, which has essentially thrown the contiguous U.S. back into the 19th century. So with no grocery stores, no restaurants, no internet, no TV, Suddenly, skills that have been decreasingly utilized by the average human over several generations, like hunting and farming for survival, have become critical. And so the story's hero, Matherson, decides to lead his town into this new future, hoping to survive until the military arrives with aid. Um, We won't spoil any more, but this story brings to mind something I read about a few months ago. Oh, um, oh, is is this the story about the woman who found the mouse in her prepackaged spinach or something? Yes, yes, her spinach or her lettuce or something like that. Uh, yes, exactly. So that kicked off this whole idea that you had about how reliant we've become on modern day convenience. But but again, this was several months ago, like before the world changed, right? Right, right. So before the pandemic, we were thinking about putting together an episode that explored what would happen if we ever really needed to have these skills again in order to survive. So that includes the, the skills necessary to catch and grow and harvest and cook our own food. So for this week's NotCast, we decided to talk to one of the world's foremost doomsday preppers, a man who, in fact, has two YouTube channels dedicated to it and who leads a group of hundreds into the wilderness each year, teaching and practicing uh, how to survive when they may need it most. So meet Jason Charles, a 20-year veteran of the New York City Fire Department, a 9-11 survivor, Uh, He's head of the New York City Preppers Network, 
And by the way, Jason is still stuck in New York City in the heart of the pandemic. He's a man who was inspired to change his life after he read one particular book. And you can probably guess which one. So my name is uh, Jason Charles. Um, I got into prepping because of a book. A book named uh, One Second After. It's a, uh, I guess it's a, it's a fiction book, a fictional book. Okay. And it's about an EMP that goes off, electromagnetic pulse. Oh, yeah. Right, which is a nuclear detonation above, uh, in the Earth's atmosphere. Sure. And it decimates the United States and sends it back to, like, the, I don't know, 18th century with no power. Gotcha. Um, I, I was just looking for something to read. I was just looking for sure. back reading, and I, I thought the title of the book was interesting and the cover of the book was interesting and uh this affected you um yeah because when you read the end of the book it talks about how this can really happen and what to do and how to prepare for it i mean let me backtrack a little bit so what what got me into prepping i guess it was just a mindset of always being ready for something a disaster a fire in your home I guess I've always been um, intrigued by it, even as a kid, right? So okay. in the 80s, I, um, there were fires everywhere in the 80s, especially up, up, up here in, uh, in Harlem, Washington Heights, the Bronx. There were fires everywhere. And I remember my mother saying, well, if there's a fire, I'm going to take, you know, photo albums and my ID. And I was like, you know, I thought about when she said that, and I'm like, I made up this little bag that was my, back then, my bug out bag with all my toys in it. Oh, wow. Right. But I didn't, you know, I didn't carry it through my my life. I stopped when I grew up. And then uh, Y2K happened. I started preparing for that. And I went bananas with that one. And then I, again, you know, again, let it go. And then I read this book, and now I, I, I stayed with it. Uh, so to explain a little bit here, uh, Y2K was the millennium. And for those too young to remember, some people thought our society could have some real technological issues because of an error in coding where computers only recognized years in two digits. So 98 instead of 1998 and and so on. So when the calendar changed, technology would register it as 1900 instead of 2000, if, if that makes sense. Uh, the movie Office Space really describes this all very well, by the way. But anyway, uh, some people thought the world may come to an end because of that problem. Luckily, society had enough time to correct the problem and nothing ended up happening. But at the time, of course, Jason and the rest of the world didn't know what the outcome would be. So they started stocking up on things like batteries, water and canned goods just in case. In fact, Jason says if you're keeping a list of things to do, that may be a good place to begin. Gather enough water, food, batteries, and flashlights so you can make it for about a month without restocking. But even before that, he says, you need to come up with a plan. You have to think about what you're preparing for. And and normally, what you're preparing for is the catalyst for you preparing for it all, or as much as you can, rather. And uh, All right. And then when you 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 settle up with a plan, then you execute, right? So I did it the opposite. I didn't come up with a plan. I started 
preparing. I just started buying stuff. I, I, I no rhyme or reason. MREs. I bought it. Water jugs. I bought it. You know. Um, okay. And, and then I settled down and I said, you know what? I don't need uh, to to rush and buy everything. The emergency could happen tomorrow, but the likeliness of something that big happening without warning is very small. You would see it coming. You know, you would see um, the bad times coming. Whether it's the bad weather or the crashing, you're going to see it coming. Got it. And what in your mind is, or is there, is there one thing uh, uh, over another that seems more likely to occur? Or are you just like, I'm ready for everything? I mean, you know, you, you prepare for most of it, if not all of it. And you don't like you try not to pigeonhole yourself into one thing. Um, that being said, when you get ready for most of it, you're able to handle it, you know. And outside of let's say the coronavirus, for example, outside of that, um, most people are you know, most preppers are, are ready, but something like the coronavirus, which is real now, um, you have to be extra careful and then you have to change how you prepare or how you prep. You have to add things to your prep now. Like? You know, mask, safety mask. Um, if you want to go all out, gas mask. Um, you have to come up with a quarantine room in case somebody in your home gets sick. You have to wash your hands all the time now, right? You have right. to take your vitamins and eat slightly healthier, or not even slightly, eat healthier to keep your immune system up. So that if you do contract it, you, your body can fight it off. So Jason says, have a plan. Know what you need and go out and get it. When it comes to supplies and groceries, it's good to be stocked up. But you also want what is called a bug out bag or a B.O.B. Normally, it's a bag that contains everything you would need to take with you to be able to survive for 72 hours if you need to leave or bug out because of an emergency. But we'll get to that in a minute. You want to know, you want to start with the basics, food and water, right? And right. you you do it a little bit at a time. So if you go shopping, for example, this week, and you're going to uh, was it Kroger's or Costco's, look for the sales on canned goods. Start with that, right? Start with the uh, bottled water. Now, bottled water doesn't last as long as one might think. Uh, that plastic that it's in is so thin now it actually starts to break down faster. But you could still stock them away. Um, and then you would go with water jugs. You, it's it's um, it's gradual. You know, don't do what I did, and spend a few thousand dollars inside of like a month or two. Gradually, and and look for sales. Always look for for food sales. All right. You want to have like your personal medication if you are on any. You want to try to stop on that um, if you can, and then you you want to definitely build a first aid kit. You want to, um, you know, just Make sure you have the necessities so that you don't get. Uh, if you get hurt, you you can handle it. If you if you get a cut, you can handle it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but don't you know? Don't start getting surgical equipment and all those other crap that you don't know how to use. So yeah. if you need to buy like medical stuff, make sure you know how to use it. Right? Mm-hmm. I've seen like a couple of prepper shows and 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 heard of people getting like these crazy surgical tools. And I'm like, if you don't have a nurse or a doctor in your family. It's pointless. Well, as far as protection goes, depends on where you live. So obviously from state to state, city to city, even county to county, you have to uh, 
read about it before you get whatever firearm you want to get. I am a big uh, fan of, you know, getting a firearm um, and keeping it to protect your family. Well, listen, if, if you have to, you're already in a bad place, right? And, and true. I, <laughs> right. point. If you have to leave your home, it's gotten that bad that, you know, you you got to move with your head down kind of deal. Um, but as far as shelter goes, you, you got to get yourself a, a decent tent, you know? Like I tell people all the time when we do my when we do bug out weekends, right? I tell people you got to spend the money on this gear. You can't go cheap with a a, a twenty dollar Walmart tent, right? Because a twenty dollar Walmart tent, if you're opening and closing it and putting it up and putting it down, after a while, not even after a while, after a short period, it's going to tear and rip because it's not used to that kind of function. So you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you, you, you start spending money on, on gear, you start seeing it, right? I I bought a cheap bag, and the cheap bag started ripping once I had, I think, like 25, 30 pounds in it. I went out and bought myself a $250 bag. The bag is now like eight years old and still kicking, right? No tears, no for. Right. So you, 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 you have to think of it in those terms. When you're just starting out, it's understandable. Once you become seasoned and you get it, you got to up the... Uh, you got to up your, your, how you say, your equipment. You got to upgrade everything. Sure. Right? So now, with, with a bug out bag, sorry, you hear people all the time um, say, you know, go to this website, look at this list, and this list usually has like a thousand things you don't need, making your bag okay. fairly heavy. Right? So I actually stole this from a guy. Uh, his name is Dave Canterbury. Right, wilderness survival. Okay, he, he had something called the ten C's. Right, so I actually tested it out when I went on one of my own wilderness outings and carried the ten things he advised. And I was actually for a haversack trip, and um, I carried the ten things, and then I upgraded the list from the ten C's to the seventeen C's. Right. Oh, so, okay. Right, so that involves cutting tool, which is a knife, a covering element, which is a tent, sleeping bag, your clothing. Combustion device, which is a lighter, a ferro rod, um, magnifying glass, containers, you know, to, to hold your water in, in whatever. It, it'd rather be metal than plastic, obviously. Cordage, which is rope, 550 cord. Cotton material, which is like a bandana or um, little pieces of jeans that you can burn to make char cloth. Uh, cargo tape, which is just duct tape. Candling device, which is uh, headlamps, flashlights. Coursing device which are maps, compasses, uh, critical care kit, which is your first aid kit or trauma kit, your cooking gear, obviously, so that you can cook on, communications, which will be a two-way radio. If you are bugging out to a location, you will put charges in your bag, at least one or two that's going to last you the duration of your trip. Uh, canvas repair needle, which is just a sewing kit, cash, and clean water. And clean water means... Uh, water filters. Now, Jason keeps an entire closet stocked with $15,000 worth of supplies and says he has enough canned goods to keep his family of five fed for about a year. He also owns a storage facility in a nearby borough where he keeps extra items. People rely on the government too much, Jason says, and the government may not be there to help when the time comes. Imagine that. 
That's why he takes fellow preppers out into the wilderness a few times a year to practice their survival skills outdoors, either in the Catskills or a state park. Right. So cell phones, for example. Um, right. They did a study. I don't know who they is, but I read it a while back. And they said that if people, if the power went out, for example, for a long period of time, people will become depressed and suicidal without their cell phones, without connection to the Internet, social media, Instagram, taking pictures of themselves. Uh, it would develop a, a kind of a depression around that. Um, they didn't state they, they said it would be a small percentage of people. But the simple fact that people are that reliant on a piece of uh, tech that they would get depressed is insane. Um, people who can't cook, right? Like you hear it all the time. People downtown New York, they use their oven as an, as another form of storage, you know? Right. They put their, put their stuff in there. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, they, they, they might put bread or, or, or another thing of food in there or their shoes, like whatever it is, you know, because that shows you they don't cook. So the, the being reliant on everyone else is bad. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm at fault for it, too. You know, I'm not completely innocent. But I just know that if the shit went down, at least I'd be able to cook and I have enough food to cook for myself and my family uh, versus those who don't have anything because they're going to call Grubhub and Grubhub's not going to be on the other side of that phone. And so uh, the group I run here in the city, the NYC Preppers Network, uh, we go out and do, we start from scratch with people, right? So we'll take you out and it'll be a bug out bag weekend. And you'll take your bug out bag and everything you have in it that you packed and we'll go out for the weekend. And after the weekend's done, you'll go through the bag and realize there were things you didn't need and things you could have used. And you take out the things you didn't need or used and put in the things that you needed. And then you try it again. Um, and then we, we do things like a have a sack weekend. So if you know what a haversack is, which is sort of like a man purse, if you will, uh, frontiersmen used to carry it uh, back in the days. And they used to carry their essentials in there. And they were able to live in the forest because they had, you know, hunting skills, uh, dressing skills, you know, dressing an animal after they killed it. They had um, these skills. And we do something like that called the haversack weekend where we pack everything into the haversack and a wool blanket and that's it. So wow. you have to shelter. You have to build your bed. And then, obviously, you know, lay in it, sleep for the night, and build your fire, and build the back wall to that fire, and then, you know, pretty much survive the weekend doing that. Uh, the group is 400, but that number fluctuates. Just wow, because people come. that is a lot of people. Yeah, but, you know, I you, you got to take into account some people only join when they see something happen on the news, and they panic, and they're like, I want to be a member, and then... You don't you don't hear from them for like a year or two, you know, so it's hard to sit there and say this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Because, listen, as long as I've been a, a prepper now, everything was supposed to happen, you know, like five years. You know, the world's supposed to crack in two. The robots are supposed to rise and kill us. Um, you know, right. You know, zombies are supposed to be chasing us around. So just too right. many different, um, you know. Would, not not what it could have showed us, but too many maybes and, and what they think is happening. Before COVID-19, Jason said that looking back, there were two other events that got him to thinking he may need to bug out. 
that was when Hurricane Sandy, the strongest, deadliest, and most destructive hurricane of the 2012 season, actually hit New York City. Uh, that was October 29th. It flooded the area and knocked out power to the tune of $65 billion in damages. Uh, luckily, Jason's family wasn't affected. Uh, but there was another moment uh, in his early 20s. Uh, that was when Jason was an EMT during 9-11. And he says this was definitely something that was life changing. Uh, you know, it was it was it was a tough day, it was a tough day to deal with. It was, um, you know, it, I mean, with the adrenaline pumping, the that one part was exciting. The other part was just a shitty day. Yeah, no kidding. Were you working at all or going to I was, school or? I was, I was, I just, I was an EMT at the time for the with the fire. Oh, oh wow. So, you know, whatever the, the day, you know, happened and went down and then I responded and then that was that. Wow. I assume that was a, a busy couple of days after that. Yeah, because it was probably a busy like month or two, actually, you know, just getting every, the logistics right, bringing EMTs down there to make sure firemen don't get hurt. Uh, firemen right. Taking for so it was, you know, it was, it was a. Uh, was trying. Well, I mean, a terrorist attack doesn't really, um, there's not much you can do to prepare for that because normally it's outside of your, your control. Got Meaning it. like, it'll happen at work, it'll happen while you're downtown. It right. won't happen in your home. Like, most likely won't, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So, unless it's like a Red Dawn scenario, there's not much you can do for that. You know what about the, the, the thing about these skills is it just doesn't come in handy for the, I guess, the disaster or the apocalyptic event. You can get lost in the woods and need these skills. <laughs> that being said, um, I hope I never have to use these skills in that kind of uh, in that kind of context. I would hope to use it, you know, like just to have fun and go camping. But if I have right. to learn survival skills, bugging out and fending people off with, with a baseball bat, um, then the shit is on. I guess I'm just I'm just looking to pass common sense on to other folks. You know, I mean, it, there was a, a YouTuber. His name was um, New York City Prepper or something like that, or City uh -huh. Prepper. Um, and he he worked downtown and he made these videos. But all his videos, like you never saw his face. He uh, he drove home. He was always driving home when he did these videos. And um, you know, he in his last video, he was like. You know, if, if you have the skills and the knowledge and stuff, you should pass it on. And I'm like, I'm not saying that I had the skills and knowledge, but you know, I knew something, you know. I thought it was just cool to make videos at the time. I didn't know that, you know, YouTube was a cash cow kind of deal until like three years ago. <laughs> got it. Got it. Uh, so uh, can you tell us what the uh, what the channel is? Well, the, uh, the, the YouTube channel is The Angry Prepper. So when you... When you type it in, you'll see the Angry Prepper Urban and the Angry Prepper Outdoors. Well, the Facebook uh, Facebook group is NYC Preppers Network, and then the Angry Prepper is also on Facebook as well. Um, there is the NYCPreppers.com. That's the New York City Preppers uh, Network's like webpage that I just cool. got up and running, so I'm still tweaking around with it a little bit. Cool, cool. This has taken on. Uh, did you see this? Did you ever foresee this eight to ten years ago? Did you see that this was going to be as big as it is? Not at all. 
It's pretty cool, man. I, I, you know what? I guess I don't. Um, I mean, I don't look at it in in a way to be famous. You know, there were like a lot of YouTubers and a lot of preppers out there. They were doing this just to make money and be famous, and they're nowhere to be found now. And I don't know if that that says anything, but I know I just treat it as each interview is an interview to you know. I guess spread more knowledge about prepping. And that's pretty much it. Listen, if I happen to make some money in it, great. If I don't, great. Um, if my YouTube channel blows up, great. If it doesn't, okay. You know. So I think it's really important to point out here that there was a time when people thought that uh, doomsday preppers was a synonym for you know people who are paranoid, uh, people who uh, are negative, you know, who are only thinking the worst uh right does that make sense um, uh yeah i guess but i think it's i, I think it's different now I, th I think it's changed i guess the point here that i'm trying to make is that i think uh especially people like jason i think he he's just somebody who wants to be ready i mean well what, what do you uh, think so i i think that there are um many shades of survivalists and uh, clearly um sure there is a an entire like like there are how many TV shows are dedicated to surviving in the wild, naked and afraid? I mean, shows like that. A lot. It's a it's it's yeah. been a big it's been a, 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 a pop culture topic, I guess you could say, for a while now. But there so there's that level. Um, there's the practical level of being prepared and there's the entertainment um, pop culture level of it. And then there's a whole other level Um where where I think you're you're kind of hinting at like like people who really go overboard and that's what they um, think about and and um, live, breathe and sleep like prepping for the apocalypse. Um, I don't think uh, clearly Jason's not in that camp, but he, he's I would say more advanced than your typical like outdoor woodsman survivalist type more. More so than me. I would say that, you know, I mean, I hear this dude and I'm just saying, man, I think he's smart. You know, I think there's stuff that I'm not prepared for. I mean, does it make you think about that at all? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's I have a few cans of tuna. I have like um, <laughs> like five cans of kidney beans and then I'm dead <laughs> after that. My my whole family's going to be gone. We'll just so but Jason's, was, you know what? We had fun. We had fun and now we're done. Yeah. OK. Yeah, Sure. <laughs> We'll we'll end it there. I mean, Jason's been all over the media. You were pointing that out. Like he's he's been a, a valuable resource for news stories lately. And you pointed out you saw him in the Times recently or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's been all over the place. And I think what he preaches is he preaches a level of common sense that uh, is approaching something that you were talking about there, another level of preparedness. But when it comes to, you know, I mean, there was things that I was thinking about that I was like, do we have Band-Aids in our house right now? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think there are some things that, you know, when things get serious, it's like, oh, man, we, we got to get some stuff because that's just not part of my uh, daily thought process is yeah that, you know to have make sure and you have these things when you know at all times uh, we here my family we lucked out um by getting like violently ill 
about like th- three weeks before um, coronavirus hit, uh, three out of four members of our family got a stomach virus or something where it oh, was yeah. just, it was nasty. And we, at that time, my wife, who who was the sole survivor of the four of us, she went out and she loaded up on like disinfectant and Lysol wipes and, and um, hand sanitizer. And so we had all this stuff in the house uh, when when the pandemic hit here. And, I mean, we're, we're, we're quickly running ready. out, so don't even think about trying to come over and raid my shit. <laughs> that's, ama- that's immediately, too, what you're thinking. I'm thinking, all right, now, who do I know that has stuff when I need it? Uh, who am I going to glom on to? Maybe we can uh, do a trade because I'm running out of toilet paper. We can <laughs> we we have that. I will trade toilet paper for hand sanitizer at any point. So, um, all right. Is uh, there anything fantastic. else? Thank you. Is there anything else you want to say about this? Um, I, I don't think so. I just have a real respect for for this guy and what he's what he's doing. And totally. And like you said, the, the the message that he's putting out there, and and he's being a little bit of an educator for the rest of us for what we need to do going forward. I think. Absolutely. So on that note, we would like to thank Jason Charles for sharing his story with us today. Knowing that he's in New York, we've been checking with him regularly. He says he and his family are doing well, just staying in and uh, social distancing like the rest of us. So because we've been referencing New York, did you know, Ryan, that in 2016, piles of horse manure in an upstate New York stable spontaneously combusted in the drought-like conditions? On our website, Ripley's.com, you can read about how it took three fire departments over two hours to put out the stinking blaze. Believe it or not. How did the owners keep the rest of their horse manure from exploding into flame? Find out at Ripley's.com. So we've talked a lot in this episode about New York, an amazing city that's fighting through these tough times with all the rest of us. But did you know a popular local legend may not contain one ounce of truth? Originally stemming from all the way back in the 1930s, but really taking hold of Americans' collective imagination in the 50s, stories have persisted over the decades that alligators have been spotted and live in the sewers of New York City. The tales seem to originate in the 30s back to then Commissioner of New York City sewers, Teddy May. May was reported as saying several inspectors had spotted alligators in the city's underground tunnels around 1935. But without any real proof of their existence, May set about to rid the city of the phantom gators. Using poison bait to lure them into the city's main tunnels, hunters stood on guard with rifles in hand, waiting for the massive reptiles to arrive. Of course, no sightings were made, but in 1937, the sewers were declared safe. In the 1950s, stories of alligators in New York City sewers again caught the imagination of Americans. This time, the story changed a bit and instead focused on families vacationing in Florida who brought back live baby gators with them to New York City. Uh, Once those little critters grew too big, those families would then flush the gators down the toilet and into the sewer system. That sounds about right. As legend has it, the alligators would feast on rats and trash and would grow to enormous sizes. The alligators would turn albino along the way due to the lack of sunlight, and they would then menace the population at large. Uh, But no concrete proof 
of alligators, albino or otherwise, has ever surfaced. Why would it be unlikely for a gator to survive, let alone grow to massive lengths in the New York City sewer system? Primarily because alligators are reptiles. They're cold-blooded animals, meaning they can't regulate their body temperatures on their own like humans, uh, like to sweat to cool off or to shiver to warm up or anything like that. So in order to survive, alligators need to warm their bodies by basking in the sun or under a heat lamp or something like that. So living in the New York City sewer system really isn't going to work for them. Uh, So whether you found a gator in your sewer or out on your patio or even in your bed, we here at Ripley's will cover it just so long as we don't have to write any more about those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they've gotten enough publicity. Believe us or not. Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner, and I edit the show. The Notcast is typically recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. The Notcast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, give us a, a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. Next week on the show, we talk to three authorities about their views on the end of the world. Is there any convergence between the predictions made by science, the Bible, and Nostradamus? In fact, what if they all overlap and point to a similar collective fate? Get even more ready for the end of the world next week on Ripley's Believe It or Not cast. You know, the world's supposed to crack in two. The robots are supposed to rise and kill us. Um, you can, right. You know, zombies are supposed to be chasing us around.
on our website. You can Be- shit. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that did not work at all. Damn it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to on our website. Ready? Three, two, yeah, one. Yeah. Believe it or not.